Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we are here to talk about some things you should have learned in school, but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And sometimes we just freeze our asses off for an entire week. Yeah, one of the things you should have learned in school, kids, is to always make sure you know where your flashlights are, make sure that you have flashlights, and that you are ready to use them at a moment's notice. And also, in this modern world, let your employers know. It's like, hey, um, they're planning on rolling blackouts in our area, so we might not have power. Well, that's a lot harder when they don't warn you about their supposedly planned rolling blackouts. Yeah, uh, our, we, were, had, we didn't have power for four hours. Yeah, we were lucky, too. Yeah. Um, luckily, Austin, right, was I was in the middle of a meeting, and Austin sent me a news alert that was like, hey, we have rolling blackouts planned. So I actually was able to say, hey, um, I don't know if you guys know this is coming, but we have rolling blackouts, and they don't know when or where or how, but they're saying it'll be 60 to 90 minutes, four hours. Four hours. People's pipes were freezing. Ours didn't, luckily. Yeah. And it was just, it was a mess. As we're seeing, it all could have been prevented, even in Texas. They're starting to realize, oh, shit, we messed up. Yeah, it's almost like these regulations are there for a reason. And when everything becomes like a competition to see who can sell electricity for the least amount of money, people might cut some necessary corners. Mm -hmm. Also, when you are paying your own electric bills, this is me going back to the whole point of our show, stuff you should learn in school, read the fine print. Yeah. Make sure that you know what kind of payment plan you're on, because I'm hearing about people in Texas who weren't on some kind of evened out plan like we are. And now it's... They have a $10,000 electric bill that, mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's 10 times more than some of them had in yeah, the entire last year. It's some stupid thing where the contract is, it's like, yeah, we'll sell you electricity at the lowest rate. But when like shit like this happens, the lowest rate is insanely high and yeah. it's not good. Yeah. They don't really teach us about how any of this kind of utility stuff works. Uh-uh. And honestly, I've been living on my own, at least on and off, since I was 18, and I'm still not entirely sure how all of it works. You just got to read those contracts. And unfortunately, when it comes to things like water, electrical, gas, there's usually a monopoly and you don't really have a choice, sometimes even within your own plan, yeah. like choosing a plan. But always read the fine print so at least you know what you're getting into and you'll know if they're violating their end. Yes. Do the same thing with your apartment contracts. Make sure you read them. Make sure you know what your rights are and what their rights are. And read your local landlord-tenant laws because they might be relying on you not knowing, especially if you're a college-aged student. Yes. They they like to take advantage of young people who don't know shit yet. Yes. Um, but other than that, <laughs> freezing our asses off day hasn't been a particularly exciting week over here. Yeah, we uh, Animal Crossing and Pokemon because we got a Nintendo Switch because we were cool adults. Yeah. I'm still not quite sure how I feel about Animal Crossing. I'm playing it a lot because I'm trying. It, it's kind of like when I read Twilight for the first time. I read the book. I ended the book. And then I immediately started reading it again. Not because I loved it so much the first time, but because I couldn't figure out the appeal. Maddie is an incredibly competitive person. And she's like, well, how do I win Animal Crossing? It's like, you don't. And just look, d disbelief and just miss, it's like, I don't understand this. Yeah, I don't like games that I can't win. I don't mind losing. I just don't like games where there's no possibility of winning, which is also why Austin's like, let's play this collaborative game. How do I win? Well, it's collaborative. How do I win? You beat the game. I'm sorry, is the game aware that it lost? No, that it's not worth it. <laughs> Austin, I've told him for I years. I put up with a I've lot. I've told him for years. I don't think he realized the full extent of my competitive nature until Animal Crossing. 
because I'm trying so hard to win at an unwinnable game. Yeah. My cousin and I even like we do a puzzle together, like a jigsaw puzzle, and we somehow turn it into a competition. Like who can puzzle better? And she'll say she wins and I say I win. They're they're both very stubborn. My whole like my whole generation of my family, we are stubborn and we are competitive. Yeah. He just nodded like you guys can see the terrified look on his face. It, it wasn't conscious. It's just fear. <laughs> yeah. He sits off with the uh, with the spouses of our generation. Like, can, what, can what, we leave? What's going can we leave? on? <laughs> All right, so who goes first this week? I get to go first this week. Okay, so what are you talking about today? Well, I'm going to talk about something. It's like a it's like a week late, but you know that's fine because it's still something fun. I'm going to talk about you know how like in school we learn about some of the various atrocities we committed against the indigenous people in America. Some. Well, we learned a little bit about it, like the most egregious instances of it. Even then. Even then, some. some. But we only learn about stuff that happened on the mainland. We learn basically nothing about all of the shit that happened in Hawaii and some of it that's actually still happening to an extent. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's insane. Like, it is just assholish beyond anything else. Mm-hmm. And we never learn about it. No. And we I'm... never learn about Hawaii beyond, and then we got Hawaii. It's like, it has a volcano. I mean, there are people who don't even realize Hawaii is a state to this day, who are like fully grown adults with jobs. Fully grown adults with jobs who insist that maybe someone's not an American because they were born in Hawaii. Uh, Kenya, please. I'm not going to be able to cover all of it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. Like even it's it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I recommend looking it up yourself. We might cover more of it at a future date. But holy shit, the things we did to Hawaii, nutty. So I'm just going to talk about the beginning, the first real instance of Europeans just fucking over Hawaii. It's also why Valentine's Day is celebrated just a little bit differently in Hawaii. Okay. For a little bit of backstory, uh, Polynesian settlers arrived uh, in the Hawaiian Islands probably around the 3rd century. Mm-hmm. There are some people that think there were people there before then, but there's no evidence to back it up, which, I mean, there's lots of archaeology and people over there. They would have found evidence at this point if there was something older. So there probably isn't anything older than the Polynesians being there. Were there dinosaurs? I don't know. Probably not, because these are fairly these islands are fairly new. Okay. And then by the year 1778, there were between 250,000 to 800,000 people living on the Hawaiian Islands. I mean, if we can't archaeologically figure out more specifics than that, are you sure there weren't people there before the it's, Polynesians? You know, that's a pretty accurate guess, because there weren't censuses. This is just kind of a best guess based on stuff. It's a good guess, <laughs> especially since um, this was... Things were actually going pretty well there until Captain James Cook Uh stumbled across the islands completely on accident. Heard about that guy. His expedition was two ships, the HMS Resolution and the HMS Discovery, and they were on the, they were sailing to Alaska in search of the fabled Northwest Passage. The Northwest Passage is the thing that connected Asia with like the Canadian general area. No, that was the land bridge. That's long that was long gone. That was like Ice Age. They were looking for a mythical water route that instead of having to go all the way around Africa to get to Asia from Europe, they could just go straight across the ocean and get to Asia like Wait, above is this North what America. they were looking for in that episode you did a while back? Yeah. Austin did an episode a while back about an expedition. Yeah, that the went... Franklin expedition. There we go. Yeah. So if that interest, was James Cook involved with that? Nope. James Cook was dead. He was long dead by the time that happened. Are we sure? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They were looking for the Northwest Passage. 
they were sailing up that way, and they just happened to spot some Hawaiian islands. And they tried to sail up to them, but the prevailing winds were in their way, and European ships aren't really designed to deal with the waters around Hawaii, like the uh, Polynesian ships were, because they could sail around easily. The European ships, not so much, but they did manage to make landfall on the island of Kauai. Now, at this point, he sent sailors ashore to get more water and supplies and, like, barter with the natives for stuff. Mainly, they would use iron tools and nails as bartering pieces because that was very valuable. Mm-hmm. And they had an abundance of them. So they would trade iron for food and water and whatever. But now, the sailors were riddled with disease. Captain Cook knew this. They had tuberculosis, gonorrhea, syphilis, lice. And they also didn't bathe. Mm-hmm. They should have listened to last week's episode. Now, uh, as compared to the Hawaiians who bathed daily. They did listen to last week's episode. Yeah, they did. They had podcasting technology. They were very advanced. Mm -hmm. Anyway, when the sailors left after restocking water from the island, they also left behind their nasty diseases, including the syphilis and gonorrhea, because by some sources, the natives were just so intrigued by their pale skin and strange clothes, they had to have sex with them. Other people say they just traded iron tools for sex. I am shocked. Shocked. So yeah, they after they left, they left behind their diseases. And then Cook sailed off to Alaska. They tried to find the Northwest Passage. They didn't. You know, we're still kind of doing that today where we're like, I'm going to Hawaii on vacation and trying to sneak out of their hotels and shit. And then you leave behind all sorts of diseases. All your COVID. Yeah. I do. I just read that somebody got fined like $3,000 because they caught got caught violating their Hawaiian quarantine. And I'm like, that's it? That's it. It should have been more. Mm-hmm. Find them so much more. So he didn't find it, but they decided to return to Hawaii on their return trip to England. And through a long series of truly bizarre coincidences, uh, Captain Cook and his crew were mistaken for gods. Oh, no. Yeah. Now, first of all, it's a very questionable like level of divinity. They might have think, oh, cool, this has been... Because it related to a lot of a festival that was going on, which was the Lono, who was the god of peace and uh, fertility, who would return from Tahiti annually during this time of year to bring fertility to the people. And Cook just happened to show up in the Kealaleke Bay. Uh, Kealakekua Bay, sorry. Austin really, really tried with these. Like, I caught him researching how to pronounce these things. Yeah. So if he mispronounces things, give him some leeway, because yeah, he did really work Kealakekua Bay. And, of course, uh, they just happened to show up during that festival in that bay around this time when he's supposed to come from Tahiti to there. Also, Lono's symbol was two crossed pieces of wood draped with white cloth, which resembled the sails on the ships. So I thought, oh, cool. This it's, he might. It's like this is a good sign. Lono sent him. We need to honor him and bring him in. So the priests actually went out to him and invited Cook to their temple in to honor Lona, and they offered him gifts of food and hospitality. And it can't be especially helpful that this was the god of fertility when it comes to the disease stuff. Yeah. Oh. Also, even at this point in time, the king was actually off making war on the island of Maui, even though uh, during this time of festival, uh, war was forbidden, but he was doing it anyway. So when he landed, people came to get the king because, hey, um, Lono showed up. You're probably in trouble. <laughs> so messengers came and got him. He returned to, to greet the strange visitors again. But he had lo- there were lots of reasons for them to, for him to doubt their divinity, and a lot of them 
pretty much instantly doubted that these were any way associated with gods because... I'm assuming some of them recognized them. Yeah, it's like, no, these... It's like, no, these are just people. And they were filthy and they were not healthy. Mm -hmm. It's like, these are just confused travelers. These are people. And also, the king asked them for medicine to treat the diseases his people developed after they came. And Cook was no help. Because, you know, these natives are not dumb. They realized, hey, these people came... We got these diseases. These people gave us these diseases. They can help us treat them. It's like, we want to trade for treatments to this disease. We don't want your iron trinkets. We want medicine. And they didn't have treatments for tuberculosis, syphilis, or gonorrhea. So it was like, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) And of course, you know, relationships were beginning to sour because of that. And also this time, Cook didn't leave after just a couple days. He stayed. He stayed for a month. So he knows that he's giving these people diseases. Yeah. And he's like, but it's so nice here. Have you seen how good the surfing is? Look, I was just in Alaska. Give me a break. And they were like, they overstayed their welcome because they were so hospitable at first. I thought, oh, cool. We can stay here for a while. And Cook continued just to ask for stuff and take stuff and just generally abuse their hospitality. Mm -hmm. And after a month of begging Cook to leave, he finally left. Only to run into a storm and damage his ship's mast enough that they had to return to come back to Hawaii to get new wood for the mast. Jesus. Which put an end, an even bigger end to the whole Captain Cook was a god thing, because Lona would never run into foul weather. He controlled the weather. So um, he would have, this would not have happened to him. Absolutely not. This is ridiculous. He is too good, much too good of a sailor. Not, unlike you bumbling, sickly clods who smell like butt. <laughs> They didn't want to just give him the wood. They wanted him to leave. Mm-hmm. But Cook saw they had all of this wood they'd used in kind of fencing around a sacred site. Oh, God. So he says, like, I'm just going to take this. Uh, he just assumed that he offered more iron. They would just give in and let him take this these, this wood. The Hawaiians did not appreciate it. Mm-hmm. That night, some, some Hawaiians actually went up, snuck up to his ships and stole one of his jolly boats which is like the little boats you use for like bringing stuff back and forth to the shore. Mm-hmm. They stole one. Cook was pissed. And by this time, the Hawaiians weren't listening to his demands anymore. So they were not going to help him find his stolen boat. They wanted him gone. He wasn't going to take that for an answer. So on February 14th of 1779, he took some men ashore to kidnap the king and hold him hostage until they brought his boat back. Now, at this point, the natives had already burned the boat because it was not a good boat for the islands. They had way better boats, but it was put together with iron nails and they wanted those nails. Yeah. So they burned the boat to get the nails. Cook walks up and tries to just kidnap the king. Yes, because you can't just walk up and be like, hey, friend, let me kidnap you. Come on, you're coming with you're coming with us. You're under arrest under my authority as an Englishman. The king did not cooperate, no matter how politely Cook asked. (laughs) Then an angry mob showed up. An angry Uh, mob of Hawaiians. Okay. Cook's men took off. They fired some shots into the crowd, but it was thousands. They were very mad. They wanted them gone. And so his crew took off and Cook was still trying to argue with the king. The crew left. They took off in the boat. And then at that point, someone uh, hit Cook with a rock. He fell to the ground and he was beaten and stabbed to death by an angry mob. Got some Richard Ramirez kind of shit happening here. Died on the beach. Um, now, the English weren't going to take this thing down. So a few do- a few days later, after his death, they fired some cannons and muskets in the general direction of the natives. Nice. As retaliation. Good people there. Great people. Now, there are some stories related to this that the natives ate Captain Cook after oh, they God. killed him. They did not. No. 
Now there are Pacific Islands that uh, that do and cultures that pre- that practiced cannibalism. This isn't one of them. Mm-hmm. This was just sailors telling sailor stories and Europeans believing it because they're all savages there. No. Yeah, we we kind of suck. Now, of course, I say there weren't cannibals. Like there were a few hundred thousand people there. They might have had an army hammer or two living in Hawaii. <laughs> I don't know, but in general, do no not cannibals. put that on the Hawaiians, please. I I will. So yeah, uh, so yeah, the English at this will remember Cook as this heroic explorer and a great man, and his death was an unfortunate tragedy. Although they do acknowledge it was a little his fault, just a little his fault. Yeah, we tried to kidnap your king. Oops. Now this is just another weird historical note that I found interesting. William Bly was serving as an officer on this ship. Have you heard of William Bly? I've heard of Nellie Bly. That's the only thing that comes to yeah. mind. Well, um, he is more famous for his role in the mutiny on the HMS Bounty. Mm-hmm. He was the captain who was so strict and harsh and cruel to his own men. They set him adrift on a longboat in the South Pacific <laughs> and basically stole a ship and like fled to Tahiti, leaving him to die out in the water. He he miraculously survived. They wrote a book on it. It's Mutiny on the Bounty. It's actually kind of an interesting book. Then after that, he uh, was rewarded by giving a governorship of New South Wales in Australia because, you know, they heard about what a good disciplinarian he was. And we need to keep these convicts under control. Did I bring him up in my Australian episode? Yes, you did. Okay. Guys, I uh, I remember things for five minutes. The Rum Rebellion. Yeah, that was against him. So he is one of history's biggest assholes who just kept failing his way up. And I can't think of a better example of like English gentry at the time. It's like, oh, well, you're quite you're doing a very bad job. But well, he has a better job. It's kind of like failing uh, upwards. Yeah. Who, uh, a certain someone who's going to come up on my side named Joss Whedon. Ooh. So uh, sadly, uh, Bly's journals were lost with his accounts of this. Which, those were probably full of some kind of crazy bullshit. Well, he didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. He'll tell you all about how he didn't do anything wrong. I never did anything wrong. Now, as you might imagine, the Hawaiians remember this differently. Really? Yeah. Uh, They actually have a holiday. They called Hua'oli la Ho'omake Eya Kapen Kuk. It is literally translated, Happy Death of Captain Cook Day. (laughs) I love that. That is Celebrated on February 14th. And they have ample reasons to celebrate his death, not just because uh, he was the first awful tourist in a long line of awful European tourists coming to Hawaii, mm-hmm. but because of the devastation his the diseases he brought left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, within two years of his arrival, one in 17 Hawaiians had died of disease. By 1800, the population was nearly half of what it was. How do they know it was half if they have a $550,000 difference? Estimated. Half. By the 1920 census, the first accurate count, there were only 24,000 native Hawaiians living on the islands. Wow. Okay. From the estimated 250 to 800,000. At best, uh, their population was one-tenth of what it was, mm-hmm. like, not not even 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. All because some guys decided that they really needed to rape some people. And not even just the, but tuberculosis, too, and just... Well, you can get TB that way, I believe. Yeah. Like, if germs can be spread from saliva going through the air, mm-hmm. it can be spread through yeah. saliva going into your mouth. So, yeah, that was... Now is not the time reason. to make out with strangers, people. Ample reason to be happy he died. Uh, even to this day, there are Native families who proudly claim that their ancestors were one of the ones to kill Captain Cook. Oh, okay. For some reason, I went to 
ancestors were part of Captain Cook's crew. And I'm like, yep, yep. but now, no, I'm on board with that. Now, the British consulate did put up a plaque to memorialize Cook on the approximate, loca- uh, the approximate location of his death on the beach. Um, it has been stolen or damaged several times. Mm-hmm. Um, it was most recently replaced in, 2000, in 2018. What right did the British have to put that up in the first place? It's not con- they, they don't own Hawaii. The consulate did it, and we we were as being polite. I don't know. It's like, we do lots of stuff for other countries. It's like, what do you put up a plaque for this Granted, guy? Oh, oh, maybe because it's Hawaii. Maybe they're like, this will be really funny. Yeah. This, uh, like, they'll have to spend so much money on yeah. this. It was most recently installed in 2018 and is still there. And according to one of the Hawaiian newspapers, it's still there for now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that was the death of Captain Cook. The first part of a long history of just horrible shit we've done to Hawaii. Yeah. Yeah, we have not been good to the Hawaiians, and no. we continue to not be good to the Hawaiians in a lot of ways. There's a lot of poverty and just... Mm-hmm. It's a very high poverty country or country, uh, state. Yeah. And there are many, many people there who don't speak any English. They speak native Hawaiian languages. So second language teachers are in really high demand over there, but they also pay their teachers shit. Yeah. Yes, they've got the big problem of high cost of living driven up largely by tourists, but they also need the tourists to be able to, because a lot of the economy is dependent on tourists. It's a, it's a mess. Yeah, tourism, oh, tourism-based economies are a catch-22, because on the one hand, it's what your economy is based on, so you want to have tourists come in. But on the other hand, they ruin your environment. And they're very they exploitative. Exploita- just... Like, you know, I went to Jamaica, God, over 10 years ago now. And we went to this party thing. I, I don't remember what they called the party. And it was, you know, watch us do our traditional Jamaican dances and watch us do, make our... And it, there's there's something both exploitative, but also a sharing of culture about it. I think it depends on... I think it depends on who's running it and how they choose to do it. Yeah. But I also can't imagine why people not going in and being like, oh, so you, you're, you're a woman in Hawaii, so you must be a hula dancer. Yeah, just... <sighs> Yeah, we've we've done some shit in Hawaii. I'd recommend looking it up. Like, I didn't even cover the worst parts. No, you covered and one brief story. It's also um goes up to way more recently than you'd think it would. Yes, yes, it it's it's not great. No. Uh man though. Like and if also if you look at Hawaiian like religious beliefs or folklore or mythology, whatever you want to call it, it's also completely fascinating. Oh yeah. Like there are entire things where it's like if you hear this noise, you have to bury your head down because you can't look at it or you will die and I think that I want to say that's the night marchers, but I'd have to, but don't hold me to that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of like them going after the king. Holy shit. He's lucky that they killed him that fast. Yeah. And like, I'm sure it wasn't especially fast. And I'm sure it didn't feel great, but you don't, you didn't mess with their kings. And like, I mean, I don't know at what point in history, like maybe some culture stuff changed, but historically you did not mess with their kings. Yeah. So yeah, that was a weird little part of Hawaiian history, which I found out on Valentine's day. And I saw this as like, Fuck, this would have been a great episode. I'm not going to wait until next year. I'm doing this now. Yeah. And I we mean, also, we have- That's whole... so much better than Valentine's Day. Yeah. We both hate Valentine's yeah, Day. Yeah, Valentine's Day is a stupid holiday. We still haven't watched Free Brit- Frit- the the Britney Spears doc. We need we to need watch to. that. That's 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 going to be Instead important. of watching that on Valentine's Day, we watched DJ Cinderella. 
Yes, that was good. Like, we're kind of just going through any rendition of Cinderella we can find, except for the Disney one, because that is the most sexist version uh, of it that I've oh, ever seen. Speaking of Disney, the Brandy version is now on. We can watch that one. I know. Austin's never seen it. Never seen it. But this one was uh, in Portuguese, and it was dubbed, but it was dubbed really well. And it's, you know, exactly what it sounds like. It's a girl who wants to be a DJ, and her dreams are being held back. It's actually good. <laughs> Like I expected, it, it is cheap. It's like halfway between the Hillary Duff one and maybe a little bit of Ever After thrown in there. Like it's very modern, but also like sh- there's some things with it. They did it with it that were unique, and mm-hmm. like both of her parents were still alive too, which was both a- her parents are still alive. She doesn't live with the stepmother, like yeah, and yet the stepmother still managed to exploit her, which is very, a very real thing. Yeah, and there were times where they dressed up the stepsisters as the ones from. The Disney movie, which yeah. is pretty funny. Okay, so are you ready for some questions? I am. Okay, will Captain Cook being mistaken for a god be on the test? Yes. Will how dirty and sickly the sailor wears be on the test? No. Uh, will the fact that his death is still celebrated be on the test? Yes. And will the fact that celebrating his death is a way better and frankly more ro- romantic way to celebrate Valentine's Day be on the test? I think they would ask that as an opinion question. Defend your opinion on this. Defend your opinion. Yeah, I, I would. Def- I would think we could defend our opinion. Oh yeah, this is war- this is romantic. It's like, hey. Now, granted, I don't really know how Valentine's Day came to be. I have a feeling there was a lot of murder involved with that too. I think it involves the uh, the Roman festival of Lupercalia. Well, yes, of course. I'm talking which- about Saint Valentine shit. Oh no, I just love Valentine's Day because it involved um, men running through the streets naked, beating women with goat thongs. What are goat thongs? Like straps of leather taken from goats. Okay, because I was a little concerned about what they were dressing their goats as back then. Yeah, and it just involved whipping women, running through the streets naked, whipping women with leather straps for fertility reasons. We do a lot of um, abusive things saying it's for fertility. Yeah. So yeah, and Romans are crazy. But damn, they knew how to live. Oh, so yeah, that was my segment. That was a bummer. It was a bummer. But also there was, was some Richard you, Ramirez uh, level like vengeance. Tr- um, it had a happy ending because Captain Cook was murdered. Is it murder if it's basically an execution? Yeah. Ah, don't know. Is it murder if they deserve it? He was. <laughs> no. This I is, mean, I like look at. This is again, a moral gray I've mentioned him before, but uh, a few minutes ago, Richard Ramirez. Nobody was ever charged with his beating. And he thanked the cops for arresting him. <laughs> <sighs> Um, which honestly, honestly, I love watching like photo, like looking at photos or watching the few videos that exist of that. Cause it's like, look at this, look at community coming together, really like bonding over a shared goal. It's a it's, beautiful I thing. I love watching people work together. Like yeah. That. It's, there's some good teamwork and there's a lot of caring about things that have gone around yeah. in the community and trying to make things better. Yeah. And so that's what happened when they tried to murder Richard Ramirez. They were just coming together to improve and, their community. You know, same thing with, with them killing Captain Cook. It's like, hey, look what we can do together. Isn't this a great bonding experience for all of us? We kind, we sound like we're being sarcastic, but I we're being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sincere? Is it glib that I'm looking yeah, for? Yeah, maybe. I, I, don't I don't know. Basically, though, yeah, no, we mean this. Yeah. I mean, we're not saying you should beat somebody who wrongs you. We're saying that we understand why it happened in these instances. Yes, we are. All right, you ready for me? I'm ready. So I mentioned earlier that Joss Whedon's coming up in mine. However, I am not talking. He He is a side note. I am talking about the debate of whether or not television can be literature. Interesting. Now, remember in school, like we had movie day and then it kind of like 
lessened and lessened and lessened. And if you've got kids now or if you're a teacher, you know that like movie days are forbidden or you have to like go through paperwork most of the time. I I might have like after testing days put on Sweet Life of Zack and Cody um, fairly often. Now, wait, are you telling me that Sweet Life of Zack and Cody is literature? No, I'm not. Okay. However, it is enjoyable. I was just talking to Austin about it yesterday. God, why were we talking about that? Because uh, Phil Lewis was on it and he oh, came okay. up when I was listening to the Scrubs podcast, which also comes up in Hooch this episode. Hooch is crazy. Hooch is crazy. <laughs> So as we know, there are a lot of great in-depth television shows out there. Like Game of Thrones is kind of a bad example because it's based on books, but Broadchurch. Yes. Broadchurch would be one. Like mm-hmm. it tells this in-depth story that f- it feels like you are in it in the same way you'd be in it with reading it. Or Mad Men. I watched a little bit of it. I didn't get into it, but a lot of people did. And it was this epic in-depth story. These things we know are are these Oh yeah, it had the tra- it had a tra- it had a flawed tragic hero mm-hmm. who is self-destructive. Yeah, it had all of the tenets of great storytelling. Yeah, and so we always, you know, hear TV rots your brain, TV can't be educational a lot unless it's like Bill Nye the Science Guy who is awesome, but not the point. It can't you can't get anything out of TV. It's just brain candy, so it can't be literature. But if that was the case, then why is there lasting television? Why do we still watch the Dick Van Dyke show? Why do we still talk talk about the greatness of I Love Lucy? Is it possibly because television can be literature? Mm. Let's start by looking at the definition of literature. Uh, Britannica starts its piece on literature with, quote, a body of written works. However, they go on to say, quote, to use the word writing when describing literature is itself misleading, for one may speak of oral literature or the literature of preliterate peoples. The art of literature is not reducible to words on a page. They are solely there because of the craft of writing. So basically, the literature could have come before the writing. The writing was just writing down the ideas. And that's kind of what all writing is. Um, Additionally, Oxford Languages says these are, quote, written works, especially those of superior or lasting artistic merit. Now, artistic is a key word here. Not all types of writing can be in the running to be considered literature, though it does actually include fiction and nonfiction works, including letters. However, in general, things like scholarly papers and journalism aren't considered literature because no matter how well written they are, they don't have that artistic flair. But according to these ideas, all literature is written, but not all that's written is literature. There's something worth noting, though. Plays are considered literature. Not all plays, but plays as a genre can be literature. William Shakespeare is, in fact, considered the father of modern English literature. (laughs) However, plays aren't meant to be read. They are meant to be acted. If we're going to say TV can't be literature, do plays stop being literature when they are on stage? I feel like people in these arguments are feeling that's like they are under the impression that the medium is tied to whether or not something is good or not. Yes. And there's a lot of ego involved with this. Yeah. And it also kind of, I think, depends on the kind of stuff you grew up watching. Like Austin, for a long time, hated musicals. He thought all musicals must be shit because he grew up watching community theater productions of Rodgers and Hammerstein. Or just stuff like Hello, Dolly, or like, just like, let's check out a tape at the movies at the library. And then we'd watch Paint Your Wagon and it was bad. Yeah. And that's the thing. If you grew up watching the wrong kind, of course, you're going to be prejudiced against it ever being anything good. But Austin has since, he wasn't a big fan of theater in general, really. But then I took him to see Equus as our first play together. Oh, God. And I was like, Austin, you cool seeing naked people on stage? He was like, I guess. I'm like, cool. I just bought us tickets to Equus. (laughs) Uh, So you're going to see some uh, 
some naked girl and some naked guy. And, he was and then like, I ran into one of them later. And that was like, yeah, we, walked, me, and, and we they... walked away and he goes, have I seen her boobs? I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> yes. Yes, you have. And I'm very glad you didn't say anything to her, <laughs> especially because she was at that moment working at a children's theater. Oh, good. Good times. <laughs> so I doubt many people would say, yes, Shakespeare stops being literature when it is put on stage. But their next argument, as you were just saying, would likely be that those, I mean, TV isn't meant to last the ages like Shakespeare always has been. I mean, TV is pop culture. uh, TV is lewd. TV is just for right now. TV is not art. TV is just pop. Yeah, because you don't need like 17 pages of commentary on, okay, when Shakespeare wrote this, this this is what was happening. Or biting your thumb is an insult. People who believe this, people who believe that Shakespeare was not these things and that Shakespeare was always meant to last, were not taught about Shakespeare, which is uh, endemic to our society. No one was accurately taught about Shakespeare unless they extensively studied him later in life. Because, firstly, we are taught to read Shakespeare for things like iambic pentameter, not for actual vocabulary yeah, we've covered and meaning. The- yeah, we've covered this. If if you were to cover, if you were to, uh, if your teacher was to teach you exactly what Shakespeare was saying, your teacher would be fired. Yeah, Shakespeare is literally nothing but violence, sex, and lewd jokes. Secondly, his plays were not supposed to last, and what we're reading is not his work. I'm not saying he was not the author. I'm saying what we're reading is pieced together from people who literally sat in the audience and plagiarized his plays. <laughs> uh, not kidding. That was a very common thing. Um. And so people managed to gather some of that and based on the memory of his acting troupe, because his plays were so pop culture based that they threw them away. They did not intend to keep them. (laughs) It would actually horrify him, most likely, that we are looking at him as literature because his audience were a bunch of drunk guys. Yes, they were sponsored by nobility, but they were really there to entertain the masses. Their audience were drunk and yelling, and they would yell back. This was like a really rowdy improv show in a lot of ways, even the dramas. I'm I'm still just kind of shocked that Shakespeare had the same target audience as the entourage. And yet it's lasted for hundreds of years because later we realized, oh, shit, this is actually good and important. We found many of the stories, uh, though not all of them, spoke to the masses over the centuries because I'm sorry, no one should be performing Merchant of Venice ever again. Majority of them reflect our own time and our own experiences in some way. Now, that's speaking in very general, largely white terms, but in general, these these can be applied to a lot of people. Um, And then there's one thing people often forget. Do TV shows, are they improvised usually? No. Where do they come from? They're written. They're written. And saying that somebody's written work can't be literature just because it's going to be filmed is insulting to their ability. And that also would be like, okay, so is Hamilton no longer literature just because we put, they put it on Disney Plus? Yeah. Ooh, more importantly, is or is it liter- or is it no longer literature because they sang it? Yeah, actually, music songs don't get brought up in this. Well, poetry yeah. is considered the, like there are purists who say poetry is the only form of literature. I I'm not a poetry That's person. Ridiculous. Of course, you know people have the same complaints about opera mm-hmm. too. But now suddenly it's like the peak of high society and fashion when it's actually was meant as pop culture like brain candy. Yeah, and if you watch a lot of operas, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of sex jokes. Yeah, uh, sex it's sex jokes. So many sex jokes. Mm-hmm. 
So TV scripts are the wor- written word, just like other types of writing, including literature. Um, but it doesn't just because something is written doesn't mean it's literature. Like I mentioned, there are very well written things that are not literature because of the lack of artistry. However, people could not argue that TV has no artistry. So why can't it be literature? I like the way this website, readgreatliterature.com, broke down their qualifications for literature, and I'm I directly copy pasted these. One, great works may present and explain something about their own times, but also observe something larger and lasting about the human condition. Two, great literature is based on ideas that are startling, unexpected, unusual, weighty, or new. Three, great literature is fine art. As such, it is aesthetically marvelous. Uh, Either the style of a great work is incredibly interesting and beautiful, or the drama leaves us breathless, or the characters or scenes are so expertly drawn. So you leave going, holy shit, that was good. Now, it doesn't mean you liked it. That is an important thing I'm going to say, and I will talk about that. It just means that you were able to recognize this as something good. Four, great literature is complex enough to offer us something new every time we read it, especially at different stages of our lives. Now, remember, I said Shakespeare was not recognized as literature until well after his death, because they had had time to go, wait a second. Now, when you watch something in the moment, you might think this is really, like, you, it might hit three, this is fine art, this is aesthetically marvelous, and then 20 years later, you're like, ew. I feel like we. I felt that way. Like I had that feeling as I was watching La La Land. It's like, oh, this is good. This is good. Then, like around the last musical number, it's like, wait, this wasn't good. Well, no, it turned into two different movies. The yeah. first movie was good. Yeah. <laughs> um. So there are two problems with this list, which I want to address. Even though I do think the list itself is solid. First, no piece of literature can reflect every single person's experience. This may mean they don't recognize the human condition fully, like the the audience doesn't, or that they don't, or that the um the work doesn't have anything to offer to these people's lives. So I bear in mind that this doesn't always apply to everyone. When we're defining literature, we should add something like to a significant portion of the population. However, the the one about ideas that are startling, unexpected, unusual, weighty, or new should be included for just about everyone because everyone can learn something from reading things that don't apply to them. Which is why, you know, we lose a lot of kids of color throughout school because all the works don't reflect their experiences. They are all by old white guys who are long dead and largely straight. So people, kids lose interest. They feel like literature books yeah. don't reflect them. Yeah, uh, English what, English literature is just dead straight white men. For the most part, yeah. Um, yeah. We've talked about like the like two gay writers that there were that we've talked that we've addressed. Um, but that's why we really need to start bringing in works by people who are not straight white dead men. Because anyone can gain something from a written work. Even if it doesn't necessarily reflect your experience, you learn something about someone else's. Then, this is the second thing that is kind of a problem. Although overall, I I do like the list. The list kind of implies you have to like it. Especially in the aesthetically marvelous line. Um, And that was also implied to us a lot back in school. If you don't like this, you must be stupid. That was what was kind of given to us. Um... When I was an English teacher, I taught my kids that just because you like something doesn't mean it's great literature. And just because something is great literature doesn't mean you like it. And both things are okay. Giving people permission to like what they like gives them the ability to just be happy with their lives. And also, huh, I liked this. Maybe I should try something a little different when I'm reading something as opposed to, oh, I'm only allowed to read these things that I hate. So if I hate Um, these, I must be stupid and reading must suck. It's like, I'm only allowed to read Diary of a Wimpy Kid. Ew. Sorry. 
That's the only thing. That's the only thing you let me read. You slap other books right out of my hands. Um, I'm trying to get you to read The Princess Bride. You keep stopping. I do. I'm bad. I feel like a not a lot of kids start to hate reading because they are being told you're stupid if you don't immediately understand this book, or because you don't like this book. There are a lot of great works of literature, quote unquote, that we read in school that I fucking hated. Yeah. I mean, Grapes of Wrath, really? I like actually kind of like Grapes of Wrath. And that's the thing, too. I read Grapes of Wrath and I'm like, for the most part, I can recognize why we're reading this, but by God, is there an abridgment? Because also, when you're in school, I'm not saying you shouldn't read long things. I'm saying that until we get a better balance of under of uh teenage understanding of teenage needs and homework we probably shouldn't assign books that are that long because i would sit there and read that for a couple hours when i also had four or five hours of other homework now like seriously though you're not stupid if you don't like all of these books and you're not stupid if you like stuff that others would say that's trash i mean i love to kill a mockingbird i also love the pretty little liars books and no one will ever argue that those are literature which is not an insult to the author. She wrote something that was enjoyable, that was pertinent to the time in which they are written for their target audience. And it actually does include some like plot twists that you didn't see coming, even as an adult who was reading these. So kids, if you read the books your teachers assign because you want that good grade. If you're struggling, your teachers will tell you not to do this. I'm telling you to do it. Use SparkNotes. Yeah, absolutely. Don't use, use them instead. Use them in addition. And most importantly, though, figure out what you like. Yeah. If, like, ask, if you've got a teacher oh, you like, ask, be no. like, hey, I really like Lord of the Rings. What yeah, else yeah, can no. I read? No, don't ask your teachers. Do oh, not ask your teachers. Um, ask, ask a librarian. Well, ask a fun librarian. Like I said, ask your teachers that you like. Yeah, fine. No, like, ask your theater teacher like me. Like, go, go to a public library and just find someone who doesn't look like they are dead inside and ask them. It's like, hey, I like this. What else should I read? You'll make their day. Because that's like the best part of yeah. working at the library is being able to recommend books to people. Absolutely go ask them. You'll make their day. Yeah. And also, if you're like, I'm just not a strong reader or I'm a nervous reader, which is a real thing. Look into audiobooks. Yeah. Um, and as an aside, people like to argue that audiobooks aren't books. So are you saying people who can't read for whatever reason can't have literature? I, I'm I'm a person who I prefer to actually read a book. I prefer audiobooks. But I also uh, am a person with a job and I can listen to audiobooks while I work. And it's a great way for me to you know enjoy something while I'm doing my job. Yeah, and it, it can enhance the understanding of things, especially if it's a totally con a concept you don't really get. You need to hear the emphasis because mm -hmm. it's a hard book. Or, I mean, it's like saying, oh, well, because you're blind, literature is off limits to you. I mean, there's always Braille. Yeah, but not everybody can read Braille, especially if they go blind later in life. Or not every book is available in Braille, at least yeah. not quickly. Oh, um, we actually, every once in a while, we do get a, a book in Braille. And getting like any type of like literature in Braille, it is colossal. Yes. It, it, it takes up so much more room to put. Like, I can't even imagine like Lord of the Rings in Braille. It'd be the size of a mattress. Yeah. And I mean, there are screen readers, but they are monotonous like this. And you will not get the emphasis that you may need so the audiobook is a smooth reading mm -hmm. now and yes, usually it, very well performed too yes i mean it activates a lot of the same parts as your brain is reading not all of them but at the end of the day most people get the same amount out of them um more if they struggle with reading in some way so back to the topic at hand just because you like a tv show doesn't make it great art doesn't make it literature and just because you don't like a tv show it doesn't mean it's not great art but is it literature i argue yes 
Obviously, like anything else, not all of them are literature. Some of them are brain candy. Some of them just suck in every possible way and they get canceled halfway through the first season. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that Tiger King is not literature? Tiger King isn't scripted. Oh, okay. As far as we know. Now, there are reality shows that are absolutely scripted, but I also would not call them literature. So The Hills, not literature. (laughs) I mean... Just because you like it doesn't mean it's literature. <laughs> uh, I probably couldn't sit through it again. I was going through a rough patch, man. Um, and we the thing is, though, we can't tell if these are literature until later. Because we need to find out if it still resonates with us after we've gone, undergone some time and experience in our lives. The um, And then there is also the fact that shows can have such great potential to become literature and stop becoming so because of things like unnecessary additional seasons that are forced upon them by the network. Like, I can see an argument for the first five seasons of Supernatural being literature. But then they start traveling through time. <laughs> that show is amazing, though. And it will always be enjoyable, I think. And there are probably arcs that could be considered literature, which brings me to my next point. Can we say that some seasons are literature and some aren't? Because if we look at a lot of different works of great literature, like The Giver, they're part... I know you hate The Giver, but you can at I, least I can, recognize I can recognize it. it. That's where we go. I hate that book. That's fine. The Giver is part of a series. And let's be honest, the series sucks. I'll agree. Not all books in that series, especially the last one, should ever be considered literature. Does that mean that because the subsequent ones aren't literature, the giver doesn't get to be either? No. Because then that, that like, with uh, Ghost of a Watchman, uh, that would set the, the great American novel uh, Have you to read Kill it? a Mockingbird. I tried to, and I really just couldn't. I started it and then got distracted, but I was actually kind of like... I don't want to use the word enjoying. Um, it was interesting because you Atticus is in his 80s in the book, I think, which you, and he's got dementia, which, you know, changes. Someone yeah, I, I, I couldn't in, do it. Yeah. So the Atlantic has two contrasting articles on this topic. One argues that an issue stopping TV from ever being literature is because of its long form in which the writer doesn't know the ending when they start, meaning they can't build to it from the first line like an author can. However, a lot of authors will tell you that they had one ending in mind and it got changed along the way as they began to discover new things about the world they created. We also know that regardless of whether or not an ending is planned, it can be so bad that it ruins the rest of the series. How I Met Your Mother. Game of Thrones. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. that's Wait, just We're well, just talking about the TV show. The books have not finished oh, yet. Um, but... Also, there's the books where they just start the books and they don't know how it's going to end. They're just making it up as they go along. Yeah. And some of them can turn out to be these amazing works. And then some of them can be Patrick Rothfuss deciding he doesn't feel like finishing it. Every year I check to see if he's written that third book yet. And every year I am just disappointed by his false promises. Mm-hmm. So, and I would agree that an ending that changes the meaning of a show in a fundamental way can alone stop it from being literature to the point where it ruins every single season that built up to it. Because the ending is an essential part. Um, and if it changes the theme, it's all done. It's over. And I was going to really analyze some works in here, um, but I'm going to briefly talk about one that uh, where you change the ending, it stops your show from being literature, and that is Gilmore Girls. Yes, So Gilmore Girls. I love Gilmore Girls up until the end. Um, It's this whole story about striving to make connection while also wanting to be your own person, which is something that, and they did it in a way that reflected the teenage experience and the adult experience at the same time. It was about making these very human mistakes and trying to overcome them. I mean, it wouldn't have been great literature in the way of To Kill a Mockingbird, maybe more in the way of Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. 
Or- it's targeted more at a certain age and a certain very specific life experience. And it's more targeted towards a certain gender. That doesn't mean it can't qualify because it still meets that significant portion of the population. And other people, even like Austin loves Gilmore Girls too. Yeah. And that doesn't mean, well, he's a guy, it can't resonate with him because there are parts that certainly do, including our hatred of Dean. Fuck Dean. Dean. It's like, I'm glad that he like redeemed himself in Supernatural. Why are we talking about Supernatural so much this episode? Because we're watching it too. We are. Like, we start watching Supernatural, and then we just, like, I can't anymore, and we stop, and then we forget everything and about Supernatural. we stop, I mean, he stops, and I have to stop because I'm waiting for him, and then we have to start over because it's been too long. Uh, but I remember it, and then I stopped watching because, like, I've seen this. Now, for this show, Amy Sherman Palladino has said that she knew the exact sentence that the series was going to end on. Word for word, she knew how the series was going to end. The last, um... One, two, three sentences. The last conversation that was going to happen between Rory and Lorelai, which is, as I understand it, how she ended seasons. It would have been a very different ending, though, at thir- at 22 versus 32. Yeah. Um. The thing is, Amy Sherman Palladino left at the last season and didn't tell the new showrunner how the show was supposed to end. So no, and that show was really involved And there was no way to predict the ending she had in mind. So it went just fully off the rails and tried like 30 different things and really did a a disservice to Lane. Yeah. What the actual fuck. Um, And the way that series ended that even the full last season, but even the very ending, except for Richard and Emily Gilmore, who were who at the very last moment finally got the acknowledgement that they deserved. And Emily Gilmore continued to get that three seasons because Emily Gilmore is the MVP of that fucking show. And like. I probably would not have enjoyed Seasons if it was not for the development of Emily Gilmore. Not the development, her... getting to actually see Emily for the first yeah, time. Yeah, that was... And so the entire thing was lost, and it, it didn't get to be the literature it very well could have been. And Seasons, it doesn't really meet the standards for a literature evaluation because it is too new. Nobody, I mean, other, unless we include 2020, nobody's <sighs> gotten to go undergo enough major life changes for I that know, to I would say 2020 um, counts as enough major life changes. We can consider it literature. But this is the way they fucked it up, which I don't think was supposed to happen in the original series. Instead of it having a it be a real-time show, as we were led to believe it was, it turned out, spoiler, 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 it's been long enough, whatever. Um, it turned out that the whole thing was a memoir in which we discovered how unreliable of a narrator that Rory was. I didn't was. see it as that. I saw it as, I wrote this thing. And it's like, oh, it was, it was, a, I didn't think it was a memoir. No, the, the, the previous seasons of Gilmore Girls were the book. I don't think so. I yes, think, it was. I think we were seeing what she put into the book, not the book itself. What? Yeah. It was like the, the life experiences that caused her to write the book, not the not the. Oh, contents no, we were the seeing book. the contents of the book because as people analyzed it afterwards, they go, wait a second. If we really look at this, this is an idealized view of anybody's life. She is too perfect. She makes herself the hero too often for this to be a realistic depiction of a person. She makes her mom better She than she actually was. She makes Dean try to, she tries to make Dean seem decent. There's a lot in there that wouldn't make sense if we were looking at it as anything but me trying to redeem myself from the way my life has turned out. Because in that season, we see these horrible things about even Lorelai and that we never saw in the series. The only person who remained consistent was Paris. God, I love Because you can't fake Paris. I love Paris. I do, too. She's my favorite. I, I, she reminds me a lot of you. So take that how you will. Just be glad you're not Doyle. Kind of am. 
I'm du- I'm dumpy. I'm wearing glasses. Doyle wasn't dumpy, okay. and he didn't wear glasses. What are you talking about? I don't. Know who, I don't. I might not remember what Doyle. He was also like. on Buffy. Oh yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. It, the The series was clearly the book that she wrote. When you look at it in hindsight, which makes the whole thing a lie. Ooh. Which means that we were fed this lie to try to reflect our lives, and now we realize that was our entire experience some kind of lie. What a twist. Also, there was a random musical number, which I'll never complain about because I love whoa, whoa. her. But... I love musical numbers. Wait, you're saying that you don't um, have musical numbers? Because we break out in song at well, work all the time. speaking of musical numbers and what I was just talking about, the first show I'm going to really analyze, and I, by analyze, I mean I'm making it much shorter than I originally had. I'm talking about Scrubs. Scrubs. I can't do it all on my own. <laughs> now, I had a legitimate moment of panic earlier today and thought I might have to eliminate this as literature for the same reason I unquestionably have to eliminate Gilmore Girls, because I was listening to Fake Doctors, Real Friends, which is the Zach Braff, Donald Faison. He just explained how to pronounce it, and I'm all anxious about it now. And it's a Scrubs rewatch, and it is brilliant. I feel like even people who don't watch Scrubs would enjoy it, although you should watch Scrubs. Um, because it actually like talks about the industry itself as well. Like this is what is happening when this kind of shot is done. It's really fascinating. Um, yeah, it's it is kind of like a good contrast to like a Grey's Anatomy type show where it's doctors and oh look at this amazing case we solved it we're great let's have sex in an elevator. This look. More- I mean, most of that does happen, but Scrubs is considered by many to be the most medically accurate show on TV, and that was a trade off that they did. They're doing these wacky, over the top things. The medicine always had to be real, um, because they were still like, this is a show grounded in reality. JD just isn't always a part of reality. So they were analyzing the episode My Hero, which is season one, episode twenty three. Again. There's a spoiler here. It's been off the air for like 15 years. Um, We see that JD is narrating like he always does. He gets to the end of the episode and he is writing in a diary. And they asked the showrunner if the series was actually in hindsight and JD's diary and not in the moment, which would have completely changed it. Zach Braff said he never read it that way. He never played it that way. But watching it 20 years later, they're like, oh, shit. Did we completely misunderstand what was happening? Because when we watch Scrubs, we see a character who is in the moment having these these fantasies that he sometimes can control, sometimes he can't. Um, and we see him like needing to escape, but also sometimes it feels like he's dissociating. Like it's this really fascinating thing. Um, and the important thing about this series is we see characters who are struggling with their senses of self and their mental health. And even even though they never name it, which is smart because it means that people both with everyday struggles and with legitimate mental health issues can find themselves in these characters. Um, and watch them get past the things. And if this had been a memory rather than in the moment, then it was fictionalized. He would have been making up this stuff to kind of illustrate the weird things that were happening. Would have completely changed the theme. They asked Bill Lawrence, who's the showrunner, and he goes, yeah, we thought about it, but then we realized people were accepting it as it was, so we decided not to do that. I was like, oh, thank God. The relief I felt was a huge thing. Um, Anyway, a lot of people may not think of a sitcom as literature. After all, how can comedy be literature? We say the same thing about like horror. There's a reason like comedies and horrors never nominated for best picture because they can't possibly be literature. Um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. (laughs) Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. Basically anything by Terry Pratchett. Oh, my God. For a series that was so satirical, I have never cried as much as I did during his last book. Yeah, but it's still intended to be a satire and funny. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It reflects the human experience. You find new meaning in it every time. You find, like, ways to live your life in a way. But it's a comedy. 
Yeah. Um, now, Scrubs did that. It reflected its time, but it also brings forth parts of the human experience. They have these slapstick fantasies, but they also have a lot of turmoil that a lot of us can relate to. If you have never cried during an episode of Scrubs, you have no soul. And I did not cry during Up. I That's like the most shocking fact about you. It's like if I wanted to like explain Maggie to someone, it's like, well, she didn't cry during Up, but that's only if I don't if I want people to hate you. I don't cry during Up, but I do cry when I see live theater and the set is beautiful. They have like these slapstick fantasies. Uh, so many, many sitcoms are just punchline, 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 punchline. They aren't even trying to reflect anything. I, or And sometimes like if it's uh, Big Bang Theory, you can't even really tell where the jokes are unless there's a laugh track. Oh, I love Big Bang Theory. Okay. Friends. Yeah. Not literature. I no. love Friends. We have discussed my love of Friends many times. Mm-hmm. It is of its time. Yeah. Ross and is a cautionary tale. Ross is a, like, if you want to look at it literature as literature, look at Ross as like, there's a villain that we're following throughout this series. Now, Scrubs, on the other hand, comes the, with the ability to switch from this humor about things they're dealing with, because you can't survive without having a sense of humor, to realistic depictions of relationship to- turmoil, all kinds of love. A lot of guilt for things you shouldn't be guilty about. Uh, Recognizing that you're struggling, death, and even realistic depictions of racial prejudice, both in terms of I am racist against you and I am using you as a token to prove that I'm not racist. Um, Like the episode where they just use Turk on all these posters saying you need an EKG, G. (laughs) God. There are several instances where the characters realize they need help and they ask for it. And the characters aren't one dimensional. And this is an important thing for the series. Um, it gives these viewers characters they can relate to. And they watch these characters struggle and they watch them overcome the struggles. Uh, even when like we watch this and go, there's no way this person's getting past this. Like Dr. Cox. Dr. Cox went through some shit. Yeah. He talks about it throughout the show, like the way his parents behaved. He talks like when like there's he takes deaths so personally, like no matter like there are times where he's like, you know, patients die, patients die. And it's him like patients die. It's not always my fault. And then when they he feels like it is his fault, he goes off the deep end. This is someone who should not survive and thrive. And he does. And that is something important for people to be able to see and people to be able to relate to. They see him doing this and like, oh, I can do this too. Now, that would just make it a moralistic tale and not um, not literature, except for the fact that it ages well. And as you get older, you start to be able to relate to different characters in different ways. When I was younger, I related to Cox. I was so angry. And he helped me like figure out where that might be coming from. And then as I got older, I started to relate to Elliot and how neurotic she was. And I started to recognize that's where this is coming from. And now it's totally JD. I watch it. I'm like, oh, God, because he's trying so hard to be a good doctor and a good person. And you get to see like, holy shit, that puts a lot of pressure on somebody. I've always related to Ted. (laughs) Oh, Ted. What does that say about me? I know a guy. (laughs) I could jump off this roof right now. Someday I hope to be Bob Kelso. I love Kelso. Um, And they even give him depth. Like in the first season, he's like, he's just the bad guy. And then you start to like see him grow. You start to like learn about that. He used to be a doctor for the right reasons. And now he's just, he's done. Like he did not survive it very well. Every time I watch the series, I learn something new about human nature, about myself, about society. And that is a primary job of literature. And that show started 20 years ago. So I'm going to move on to another one that's a totally different type. And it's one that you're probably expecting since what I said earlier. Buffy the Vampire Slayer. My, It's like my favorite show. 
And like I've mentioned on previous episodes, I have a very hard time separating art from artist. And we all know that's what's happening with the um, with the information coming up about Joss Whedon's behavior, alleged behavior. I did that whole episode about journalism. I should use alleged, you know, with how he treated especially his female employees Mm -hmm. and like the fact that Michelle Trachtenberg says that she wasn't allowed. He wasn't allowed to be in a room with her when she was 15. So my saying that Buffy is literature is in no way endorsing his behavior, and nor do I think that being brilliant means someone's deserve someone deserves to have work. Yeah, I I I, with him, I was like he was just a Buffy was a large team. Yes, I have a feeling that a lot of people played roles in making sure the show happened because from Mm -hmm. what I understand about him, he throws tantrums. Yeah. That said, it's hard to deny that Buffy is literature any more than we could deny that the works of the absolute misogynist Ernest Hemingway are literature. Mm-hmm. There are academics who full-on study Buffy. There are college classes taught on Buffy. They argue that the monsters that they fight on a, uh, represent the things that teenagers and the rest of us deal with. Like uh, uh, an article in The Atlantic put it, quote, oppressive authority figures, meaningless rules, confining social norms, sexual awakening, loneliness, redemption, in other words, the terrors of growing up and finding one's way in the world. Um, And that's, you know, in some ways, just talking about the everyday monsters that they even got bored with fighting after a while. Just like, I'm a stabby stab. Because we all face things every single day to the point where we barely notice them after a while until they stack up. But then the big bads also did these things. And they talk, we hear about it talked about in terms of the teenage experience. But I'm sorry, who doesn't still have stuff like that they're dealing with? Everybody. Everybody. And then there's also, like, I saw these things talking about the different themes, that it's an allegory, like, all this stuff. I'm going to try to be brief, and I'm not covering all of it. Um, there's the fact that it's largely considered a feminist work, despite him being a alleged raging misogynist, because we have a female heroine who never stops being the heroine. Even her mentor, who is a guy, realizes pretty quickly, I'm not in charge here. I'm just here to help her guide herself so she doesn't die. Mm-hmm. Another important thing about her as a heroine is that most of the time when we see heroes in any kind of literature, even if they're a begrudging hero like, oh, Frodo, who didn't go into this to be the hero, they take on the mantle and they go with it, even though they're a little sad sometimes and they want to go back for their normal lives. Like, whatever. Buffy fucking... The Shoyer Frodo. Buffy fucking struggles with it the whole time. And we see her like... There are times where she's like, I got to die and it was amazing. Um, And the men in the the series consistently remain the villains or the sidekicks. They don't ever rise above her. They try and she's like, full fuck you and takes them down. And that includes Xander, who I have a lot of opinions on that are contrary to a lot of people's actually. Um, Like Xander, for me, he's just he is a teenage boy of his era, accurately depicted. Well, and Xander, I'm skipping a paragraph here, but Xander shows us more like they all show this, but especially Xander. This was the first time really on TV or in literature that especially teenagers got to see the family you choose is valid. We were always told, well, your blood family matters more than anything. You have to love your blood family. You have to be a part of this family forever. You can't leave. Well, we get to see, it gets hinted at repeatedly that Xander's family is abusive. We see for a fact that Willow's family is abusive. Buffy's mom kicks her out of the house and they gets mad at her for leaving when she gets kicked out of the house. Like, it's not a good relation. Joyce yeah. does get better. Mm-hmm. Joyce is amazing by the end. But, you know, it's it's tragic. But and- Xander's worst nightmare is when we get to see it, he's in the basement and all it is is his dad yelling through the door. And that tells you a lot about what he grew yeah. up with. And so, and of course, it's like Joyce must have been incredibly neglectful too, because 
Her daughter yes. would leave for all night, would be gone, would come back. There was Her room was full of weapons. There'd be blood and tears in her clothes. Mom never questioned They it. actually bring that up at one point in the series. Like, Mom, did you never wonder why? Did You, ne- you never mentioned why you're cleaning out all the blood in my clothes. You never asked. Yeah. So Xander gets to choose this family and then he ends up stuck with his again for it's a whole thing. Um, but for the first time ever, we get to see that the family you choose can be just as valid. And we see him struggle with the trauma that he dealt with, with the help of his chosen family. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, if you get along with your family, that's awesome. Do it. But you also are allowed to do this. And then there's, of course, the LGBTQ civil rights movement that was happening at the time, though we don't call it that. I don't know if it has a name yet. But, you know, the AIDS epidemic was starting to wane and people from the gay community were like, hey, we're still here and we deserve to be treated as valid human beings. So they took this on through the character of Willow. And she comes out of the closet and it's a thing for some people. For others, it's not. But the biggest and most important part is that it was not the central part of their relationship. Her and Tara, it was about the fact that they loved each other and nothing else. In fact, very rarely was their relationship sexualized. The only time I can really think of that was on the musical episode. Yeah, and when which it was very sexualized. They weren't allowed to show them kissing, but oh they did. Boy. They did once. They did once. Well, they did but, several times. I mean, but like, like that was the first two female, uh, female, female kiss on TV, I believe. Possibly. Or the first one that wasn't a joke. The first romantic one? Maybe. I, I don't yeah. remember. I should have looked it up. But a lot of uh, people in the community have been like, Willow gave me the confidence I needed to think this was okay. Because her relationship was based on love, not on sex, which was important and remains important. Um, and then the last one that I'll mention is that they brought in the idea that people can change. And that is something that books actually don't get to address too much because there is so much more you can do in hundreds of hours of television than you can do in 800 pages of a book or 200 pages of a book or whatever it is. We get to see these characters learn and grow, but we also see humans turn into monsters. Monsters turn into humans. We get to see very literal representations of the ways people can change. We have the amazing best boyfriend of the series, Oz. Yeah. Who, by no fault of his own, gets turned into a werewolf. And when he is this werewolf, he has no control over his behaviors. It is all driven by nature. And that is kind of like showing there's always a part of us that we have to try to take care of. And it also could have been representing some kind of mental illness, especially by the fact that he was able to, like, I recognize that I am unable to control this part of myself. I'm going to go get help. And then he actually gets help and it does help, which is also important. But we also see the opposite. We look at Anya, who is my favorite character of the series. She shows up as a monster and turns into a human who is never quite socially appropriate, but she cares and she tries. And I mean, you start hopefully to love her, even though she fucks up because she shows you that it's okay that you can become a better person and people will often forgive you if you mess up so long as you're trying. And that's important, too. And that also pisses me off in a lot of Facebook groups. They're like, you can never change. You can never grow. We'll kick you out of the group for using a word wrong. Fuck you. Um, I'm not going to go into that too much. But please just let people grow. Learn something yeah. from fucking Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Just not from Joss Whedon, because screw that guy. Yeah. Be, uh, be happy to be associated with J- Buffy the Vampire Slayer, not with Joss. I rephrased it as, um, I look at it as paying my taxes. I don't like everything my tax money goes toward, but I believe that enough good is done with it. So that's why I'm like, you know, I'll probably still buy Buffy stuff knowing that the residuals will go to different people who deserve it. 
anything that could support the actors and crew, like the writer saying that he his goal was to make a writer cry every day and he bragged when he made one cry twice. Those people are not paid enough for this. No. And even Marty Noxon, who worked with him for a long ass time, was like, yeah, this happened. <laughs> um, anyway, so to wrap up the topic, the question is, can TV be considered literature? And I argue, yes. One, it is written, fulfilling the most basic requirement. Two, it can reflect its own society and have lasting themes that continue to resonate and allow us to discover new things even decades later. Three, they can be surprising, which is one of the things it needs to be. You need to have something unexpected happen, at least the first time. Four, they can be beautiful and not just in the way they're filmed. And five, they can change their own medium and the way future writers, directors, etc. do their work for the rest of time. Is all TV literature? No. Are all books literature? No. No. But if you can learn something from a written piece and learn new things over the years and it continues to reflect society in some way, how is that not literature? The end. Bravo. So let them watch TV in class sometimes, even if it's trash, it makes you feel really good. Yeah. Who knows? Like some in a couple of generations, like kids might be sitting around watching. Not how I met your mother, considering how it ended. Oh, no, no. But something. Um, Doctor Who. Yeah. Also analyzed in colleges. Um, Game of Thrones, possibly not, but probably more for the filmography on that one. Um, I'm honestly like not watching a whole lot of current television right now. The Good Place. Oh, definitely The Good Place. I could see The Good Place lasting, but the thing is we won't know for another 10, 20 years what lasts, what doesn't. So that's kind of cool, actually, knowing that 20 years from now, we will get to find out if something that we enjoyed or didn't enjoy becomes important. You won't know something's important until later. Yeah. Wow. Is I'm trying to think of like TV shows that are definitely literature. And like, I know you're asking me about West Wing and I don't think it stands up particularly well. It did until it did until 2016. Yeah. It was like this optimistic look at how things could be. And then that's real. That's just so detached from reality now, I think anyway. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. It's the world is much more cynical than the West Wing led us to believe. Uh, I think Lost is a giant question mark. It depends on how you interpret the ending. I don't think so. Um, I think Dexter actually might. It is based on books that are absolutely not literature. I have read them. They are amazing. They are not literature. But the way Dexter itself as a TV show is, possibly. Um, Like I mentioned earlier, uh, Broadchurch, I think, will hold up in a lot of ways. Like there's a lot out there that you can look at and kind of go, I'm going to I'm going to monitor this. And in 20 years, I'm going to come back and see if it still works. Um, and it's not exclusive to shows for grownups. It's not exclusive to dramas. It's not exclusive to rea- realistic television. Yeah. You ready for some questions? I'm ready for questions. Um, well, the fact that literature, to be literature, needs to be lasting. It can't just reflect its own time and experiences of people in the moment. Yes, that should be on the test. Because that also helps kids. Like, why do I have to read about this guy and his family who tried to drive to California 100 years ago? It's like, shut up. It's literature. Uh, will the fact that you don't have to enjoy something just because it's literature and enjoying something doesn't magically turn it into a literature and that's okay be on the test? Yes, it should be. be. It should. Again. Will the fact that Shakespeare was pop culture and not meant to last be on the test? No, because we will do nothing to risk that pedestal we have put him upon. Will the fact that TV can, in fact, meet the basic requirements be on the test? Yes, it should be. I doubt it will. Yeah. And again, it doesn't mean you have to be like gung ho to teach it. Like, I know that people are going to get mad, but I didn't want to teach graphic novels. It doesn't mean I wouldn't have. It doesn't mean I can't recognize them as literature. It comes down to I personally don't really get them. And I don't like I finally I took me a while to come around to them being literature, which I know like me coming off of this kind of comes across as hypocritical. I thought they weren't in depth enough. Now I've gotten into some better ones. 
because my main experience was with comic books. Yeah, there was like there's like a big difference between something like March and Baby Mouse. Oh, Baby Mouse. Or uh, or Baby Mouse and Mouse. Yeah, and also it isn't fair for me to think that because I do think where the wild things are is literature. And now in my 30s, I still get stuff out of it. Like I read that book when I need to not feel alone in certain things. Also, the movie is good. And I don't care what anybody says. Um, and then f- uh, finally, we need to stop restricting the definition of literature, especially in terms of what we read in school to straight white people. Yeah, absolutely. We need we need a more diverse base for literature. Yes. And if you haven't read The Hate You Give, you are uh, yeah. you, you are doing yourself a disservice. I, 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 I have a strong feeling that that one will be considered literature. Well, it's already banned in a lot of schools, so you know it will be. Oh, yeah. It, uh, it's banned because it makes the police look bad. Well, the, to be fair, the police make the police look bad. I was listening to the audiobook of that and almost had to pull over because I got very nauseous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. I was. Uh, sometimes uh, the one downside to listening to audiobooks at work is you start crying, and um, when everyone has, to, like, when lots of people walk by your little office and see you crying, you just put a sign on your back. I'm listening to a sad audiobook. Yeah, I, I I work with a very a lot of empathetic people, and they'd be so concerned. It's like I'm listening to an audiobook. They'd all understand that though. It's like Lavar Burton reads is sad this week, guys. I can't listen to Lavar Burton reads. Oh, it's so good. It's nothing against Lavar Burton. Um, it's actually more that I either I'm not a huge short story fan. I like I like fuller things. Which I know is, again, weird coming from somebody who loves sitcoms. And also, though, like, you know, people are like, listen to it to fall asleep because I'm an insomniac. I'm like, no, I, if I like the story, I'm going to be interested. And if I don't like the story, I'm going to be annoyed. Nothing with LeVar Burton. I love to hear him. Oh, I, I, Did they're... I talk about him? I talked about him a little bit. Um, The one I fully covered was Bill Nye. Yeah. I've actually looked into covering LeVar Burton in the future. because I love LeVar Burton. I want him to host Jeopardy. That would be so good. Oh, God, I was so mad. I saw this an article. It was Dr. Ha- Oz to host Jeopardy. What? No, I have not it's, read that. It was as a guest host, not permanent host, but they didn't mention that in the headline. See, he's and not I in the upcoming lineup of in, guest hosts. I think they pulled him because yes. he's a quack. He is an absolute, allegedly. No, he is a cardiologist. He can talk about heart stuff all he wants. He has no business telling you how to lose weight. He, as a cardiologist, should say, look, you need to eat healthier. Here are some heart healthy foods. But for weight loss, here is a specialist for that because I am not qualified to tell you how to lose weight. And any cardiologist knows that dropping the kind of weight he is telling people to drop in a short period of time is bad for their hearts. God. Yeah, Dr. Oz is the... Ooh, maybe, I was actually... I've been thinking about like some like modern day quackery, because we don't learn about that as much, about why it's bad. Yeah. And you um, keep seeing the same shit popping up over and over, but that's like too much for an episode. Yeah, chances are they're on TV and making a lot of money for the advice. Because notice, Dr. Pimple Popper might tell you to wash your skin. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, she's gonna be like, "Yeah, you got something growing. Don't go- mess with it. Go to the doctor." Yeah, it's, the, it's like all, her advice is always go to a doctor. I'm showing you surgical procedures. Go to a doctor. Yeah, it's like I can't tell you from like if something feels this way, it could be worth checking out. But I also can't tell you what it is because I am not checking out it myself. If they're telling you, "Here's my medical advice," no, run away. They are not your doctor. They are not looking at your body and. You know, I found out, I think Dr. Phil is a real doctor. I thought he was only honorary. I thought he was, but I I feel like I read that he isn't. But, like, this dude has harassed people. Like, he got in some shit for going after, um, oh, I just blanked on her name, the wife from um, The Shining. He, like, tracked her down. She's in hiding. Oh, 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 Shelly Duvall. Shelly Duvall. 
And she's not doing great because that movie fucked her up. And he like put it all on TV. Like, you don't do that to someone. No. Um. Anyway, where can people find us? They can well, they can find us uh, on our website on the test on the testpod.com. They can find us on Twitter at Twitter uh, at Twitter. They can find <laughs> us on Twitter at on the testpod.com. What? <laughs> Damn it! Okay. Okay. You guys can find us on our website <laughs> on the testpod.com. Our Twitter account uh, at on the testpod. <laughs> See, it's not just me. <laughs> Our Instagram at on the test pod, our Facebook, facebook.com slash on the test pod. Twitter is the easiest way to reach us if you want to do so. Send us a tweet, leave us a DM. Um, you should absolutely tell your friends about us. Um, we, I know we go off on tangents. Some people like, some people like that. Some people will think that we're annoying. I don't care, but just be cool about it because we are just two people sitting in a closet who are making no money off this at this point. So be yes. cool. Um, and le- if you use the iTunes, please leave us a review. That is a big way to help. Share this on your own socials. Be like, hey, listen to these really cool people because this is all they have in their lives. Yeah, it's a um, we have four cats to support. And unless this starts making money, we're going to have to let one of them go. We're not going to have to let one of them, th- them go. No, not especially. Well, maybe after today. <laughs> what did they do today? What they, they were circling me and yelling. <laughs> and then I had some chicken. And Fessick is a very polite boy and never tries to go after our food. He put his fucking paw on my food and tried to steal my chicken. <laughs> And then I yelled at him, which he is not used to because he is my goodest boy. And so he went and hid and he and his brother got locked in a room because they were being the baddest. <laughs> oh, my God, though. They were they were monsters today. Um, actually, Gigi was the least of the monsters. And Gigi couldn't use a litter box until three weeks ago. Yeah. Such proud parents. She's eight, by the way. Um, yeah. So be cool. Tell your friends. Leave us a review and a rating. Share this on your socials because... We really enjoy doing this and we would love it if more if we got to interact with more people, if we got to share this with more people. If you find an episode that you really enjoy, share that. If you just like the sounds of our voices, share the whole thing. Or if we got so famous that Matt Mercer asked me to play Dungeons and Dragons with him. I, I don't mean, know who that is. It's but okay. My boy Donald Faison turns out plays D&D. I, I, I speak of him like we know each other now. It's like, well, you know. Also, Donald... I know you're listening. I follow you on Instagram. And I know like if if you listen to Fake Doctors Real Friends, you know that that's important. And now I feel me and I'll follow Zach Braff later today. <laughs> uh hi, um hi Donald and Zach Braff, Maddie's close personal friends. I um I'm going to check out your Instagrams unless I see a cat picture within like the first on the front page, you're not getting a follow from I me. I don't think either of them has mentioned having a cat, but Neil Flynn, who played the janitor, did mention it because he very authoritatively says no on one episode and they think he's answering a question they asked. And they were like, wow, okay, explain. He's like, I have a cat. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what the question was. It's okay. Um, our, I know I know our cats have been very lewd on at least one uh, Zoom meeting and I like showed their butthole to the entire office. So... So, um, I guess on that note, (laughs) so, uh, on the note about cat buttholes, class class dismissed. dismissed.